0: N-E-T-S-U-I-T-E dot com slash W-T-F.
1: Lock the gate!
0: <laughs> All right, let's do this. How are you, What-the-fuck-puppets? what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fuck, Nicks? What the fuck, puppets? What? What the fuck, puppets? Where'd that one come from? I don't feel like I've said that before. Have I said that before? Somebody, please. Go back through the 1,400 episodes and just skim through to see if I've said what the fuck puppets. It seems like I have. I'm sure I've done it like 90 times. But listen to me, what the fuck puppets. (laughs) What the fuck buds. How's it going? Oh, thank you. Yes, you did miss my birthday. It was uh, Tuesday, but thank you. How could you have known? Many of you didn't. And I appreciate the birthday greetings. I'm 59 years old. And I felt it coming. I knew it was coming all year. I knew it was coming, like right after I turned 58, I'm like, man, 59 is coming, and then 60 if I'm lucky. But I always feel lucky. I don't project that much into the future. I try to use my imagination to think of horrible things that can happen to me in the world. I don't think about, hey, what am I gonna be doing a month from now, a week from now, tomorrow, you know, 15 minutes from now. No, I'd rather think like, oh, fuck, we're in trouble. We're all in trouble. Oh, my God. What do you got planned for the future? What future? What are you talking about? But uh, I did have a birthday. I had a birthday. I could tell you about it. I could. But let me tell you about uh, the show for a second. Abigail Disney is on the show. Now, look, she is the daughter of Roy Disney and the grandniece of Walt. Her grandfather was Walt's brother. Yeah, that Disney. How is there is there any other Disney's around that aren't Disney Disney's? She's a documentary filmmaker and producer. She's produced dozens of documentaries going back to her uh, first one in 2008, Pray the Devil Back to Hell, which I have to watch. She told me I had to watch it. She's all, I, I want to watch it. I'm not, you know, can I'm I'm busy learning how awful uh, America was, you know, to the Jews. I got I got to sort of pace myself. I'm watching the Ken Burns one that is uh, basically saying that you think it's anti-semitic and racist now well before the nazis it was even worse yeah but uh but uh, abigail is also a a prominent activist in particular on the issue of pay equity and she's been particularly critical of the global corporation that bears her family name you know disney she's the co-director along with kathleen hughes of the new documentary the american dream and other fairy tales which i watched and uh got me back into a zone man got me back into that zone that i used to be in every day when i uh, was hosting the morning show on air america morning sedition just uh, locked me in when was the last time you had talked about the powell memo yeah exactly huh when was the last time you talked about milton friedman uh-huh yeah coming at you look out yeah the powell memo i was obsessed with the powell memo obsessed That was the key, man. That was the key. Everything that we're experiencing now from uh, the right and all the full spectrum of it is just payback for the 60s and payback for FDR. I'm learning two things from the docs I'm watching that they've been pissed off since FDR, since the New Deal. They've been pissed off since immigration policy changed in the 30s. And then there's a whole other group of them that were just furious at the possibility of socialism uh, infusing into our, uh, into our structure here in the 60s. And ever since, that push him back. And the Powell memo set that standard. It basically says, we must do whatever we need to do at any cost to protect capitalism, no matter what. Anyway, this stuff comes up uh, in, in my conversation with Abigail. We don't need to talk about it right now. Because uh, I'm going to talk about uh, my birthday. I also want to talk about uh, what I mentioned on Monday. I'll be doing a live WTF at the Bloomsbury Theater in London on Wednesday, October 19th. My guest will be comedian and writer David Badil. Go to WTFPod.com tour for tickets. Yeah, I just read this guy's book, but apparently he has a long track record as a comedian and television creator and everything else. It's weird you know, that you know Britain's no slouch in the media and content and uh, and theater and movies and TV uh, world. But I don't know much about it. I'm not tapped in. I gotta get a little tapped in. I want to show up to talk to David Bedil just about Jew stuff. Let's you know. Let's go with the gamut of of straight up Jew stuff and and uh, uh, kind of uh, subtle Jew stuff and just hidden Jew stuff. Who wrote this? A Jew? I don't know. Probably. Who could know? Let's look at the names. Oh, yeah. Jews. So, look. I uh, had a birthday. I got to be honest with you guys. I've been uh, spiritually uncomfortable, um, emotionally uncomfortable, mentally uncomfortable. I think it had something to do with my birthday. had something to do with uh, my mother got a, is going into surgery today. And I had to deal with that on my birthday. We had to make sure that she was... It was kind of spontaneous. My mother's having spontaneous surgery. She was scheduled to do it at the end of the month, and then she decided, well, they got an opening. Why not do it at the end of the week? My brother, who lives down there, is not even going to be there. It's just been, all right, a little impulsive, but you know, I had to, on my birthday, I had to wrangle that, make sure she was set up for some home in-home care if necessary, and on the phone with my cousin, and dealing with that, dealing with my mom, who's not that much older than me, as I mentioned, just a little older than me, my mother only 22 years older than me my mother is and she's going into surgery my dad interestingly who as you know is uh you know beginning uh, the, uh, the uh the dementia process i don't think he'd mind me saying that to be honest with you uh i don't think he'd remember <laughs> Woohoo, man i threw myself a softball on that one the only reason i'm laughing and it sounds like i'm kind of glib is that uh rosie my dad's wife has been uh making him listen to these shows. So like if anyone's going to be like the odds of him knowing me when I call are, are, are going to be pretty good because he's listening to this. So he couldn't figure out how to listen to it by himself for, I'd say about 1340 episodes. But now I guess uh, it's something she does. She just sits him in front of the computer and he can listen to his son ramble on and talk to famous people. Hi dad. How are you? It's me, Mark, your son. Hello. Hi dad. <laughs> Hi Rosie. But anyways, my point was, you know, my dad when he was uh, in it was an orthopedic surgeon. And when I saw him in Phoenix, you know, I was talking to him about the procedure my mother's getting uh on her neck. But my father used to do some of that surgery when he was in, you know, uh, you know, at the top of his game. You know, doing backs and knees and necks, you know, that legs, hips. Yeah, my dad was a, you know, just a hammer and saw man. Yeah. But uh but when I saw him in Phoenix, I asked him about it and he was like he just locked right in, man. Tell, told me about the operation, said it was pretty uh pretty common, not a long operation. You know, recovery's gonna be, you know, a little a little, you know, painful and tricky, but but as far as the operation goes, simple stuff. Simple stuff, the old man said. And he locked right in and explained it to me and everything when I brought it up. And I called him the other day to say she was going in. He's like, Yeah, it should be good. It should be. Uh... I said, well, What about the post op? He's like, Yeah, I should just have a cholera. Like, right, right there, man. It was all right there. My dad, who was always great to engage with medical problems, which is why, as I've explained before, I had a uh, history of uh, hypochondria, was because, like, you know, how can I get my dad's full attention? Dad, I think I have cancer. No, you don't. Uh, my arm hurts. You want to check it out? Bring it. Come over here. Let me feel it. And you do all the little wiggling and pullings. That's what they do in orthopedics. So pull and wiggle your arm. Hold it still. All right. Does it hurt? All right. Hold on. Pull it. Ow. It hurt when you did that. It did? No, not doesn't hurt, but you hurt it. All right. My dad broke my leg and my foot. Do you know that? Yeah. I don't know if it was, uh, I wouldn't say it was for experimentation. I think it was just an accident, negligence. Here's Here's how he broke my leg in fourth grade. It's been a while since I told these stories, I think, but maybe it will make Dad. These are for you. Remember this? How, let's share some. I'm going to share some memories with my with my audience. Remember, Dad, when we were skiing, and uh, he's listening. You remember, Dad, when we were skiing, and I had those Cubco bindings, which were supposed to be the safest bindings. You remember those Cubcos? But they kept popping off, and I was not having a fun day. And I kept, you know, complaining that my skis kept popping off, and then you tightened them up, boy. You tightened those bindings up, Dad. You remember this? And the next time I fell, boom, spiral fracture on my tibia. I remember you said that pretty quickly. You're like, yep, that's a spiral fracture on the tibia. I'm like, well, can we, can we get somebody can we... down the fucking slope in a toboggan? Is it a toboggan? They just strapped me into one of those sleds with the ski patrol. Yeah, I was the guy in the stretcher, the, the sled stretcher going down, put it in a splint. They threw me in the back of the blazer. My old man did. I'm in the back of the blazer with the splint on, going down the mountain, bouncing around in the back of that fucking orange blazer with a splint on a freshly broken leg till we got to the hospital. Yep. That happened. Right, dad? That was a good day. You remember that day? I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut into the fun day to the ski time, but we got to the hospital and guess who uh, set my leg? Yep. My dad. had the. I had the full leg cast all the way up to my hip. Very difficult to pee. Very difficult to bathe. It, it itched all the way up. Classic plaster cast. Old school. But long story short, I still walk funny. But that's because my dad ran over my foot. Remember, Dad, that day where I was for summer school? And... uh you know, we were dropping me off. I was in the back seat. David Kleinfeld was in the front seat. We were taking him somewhere. I guess he maybe I don't know why, but I was getting out for summer school and I opened the door, I hung my legs out, and I reached around to get my books, and you took off. And the and the back wheel rolled over my foot and I was on the ground screaming. And then you backed back over it. And uh, you know, I was in trouble and crying and screaming in the seat. And uh you didn't think it was broken. And then when we got to the hospital and they x-rayed it and it was like it popped like a fucking <laughs> like a like a like a apple under there it didn't shatter but it popped a bit you're like yeah i knew it was broken i could tell by your face yeah could you yeah so because i didn't do any physical therapy my right foot kind of wings out but i'm not blaming you dad i'm okay i'm all right i'm in good shape i'm in good shape it was you know we live and learn. We do things. We make mistakes. You didn't know. You didn't know you were going to run me over, and you didn't know that the bindings would not release if you tighten them all the way, like a screw holding something in. You didn't know. I'm not blaming you, right? You didn't know, right? You didn't. <laughs> so, look, Abigail Disney turned out to be a pretty great conversation. I didn't know what to expect, because I watched the doc. and watched her in the doc. But, but you know, I'm talking... this Her... Her grandfather was Walt Disney's brother. She grew up Disney, and that's a pretty small group, all right? So it was kind of, we were able to spread the conversation around the issues, but also around her upbringing. It was kind of great. The American Dream and other fairy tales is now playing in theaters and is available on digital on-demand platforms, and you can go to AmericanDreamDoc.com to find theaters near you. And uh, this is me talking to uh, Abigail Disney. i think there is a big difference with film in a way yeah i think there's the Um, look and also uh you know, you don't get as many shots.
2: Yeah. You know? but, but with film, yeah. I mean, it just costs money, you know? And of so course. And so digital, you just roll and roll and roll and roll and roll and yeah. roll and roll. sure. And Why like, not? And like, somebody sneaks something in there. I mean, that's the beauty of digital, like, yeah. you know? Because you never know.
1: Yeah. I mean, yeah. we interviewed right, the guy right, right.
2: who used to be one of the main lobbyists for the NRA for yeah. years. Yeah. Um, and during a break, he showed us that he could still do the splits.
0: And so you had to have that.
2: You never get that on film. Well,
0: that's well, that, <laughs> that's humanizing the guy,
2: <clears throat> exactly. And
0: occasionally, you do want to humanize the people. Well, that was for uh, Armor,
2: Armor of Light. Light. Yeah, we had a lot of stuff with NRA people that we never wound up using. Just it became a different film along the way. Oh, Which really? Is the other great thing about digital, honestly. Well, it's also
0: the weird thing about making choices in documentary. Yeah, is that you know if you have an ideological through line that is uh, yeah. being. Uh, Compromised by the humanity and of yeah, the people. Yeah,
2: exactly. Well, you know, I don't. I don't think of what what I do as ideological so much as um, uh, spiritual. Sure. Oh, yeah. Crazy. Yeah. Um, not spiritual. You know, God. Yeah. But uh, spiritual, in the sense of like the spirit of the place and the spirit of the people and the spirit of what we're trying to accomplish, yeah, that you find in people in the yeah. most unexpected ways, right? And you follow that,
0: right? Right about you know about community, human yeah. perseverance, uh, yeah. you know, uh,
2: yeah. fight. Yeah, and and in armor of light, what we yeah. were looking for was like, are you willing to, in good faith, come out of your little um, bunker? You know, and just talk to me about it because. Like, what was
0: he? The, it was it was about uh, 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 an anti-abortion minister, right? Primarily, and 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 but he was pro-gun rights.
2: Well, he was. So he was. I mean, the way the film started yeah. was I picked up the phone and called a bunch of different guys who were pro-life, and um, that was hard. Right. For me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, I said, "Look, I I believe you're in good faith." Yeah. You believe what you believe. I believe yeah. what I believe. we right. Googled each other. We could fight. What if we chose not to fight? Yeah. Like, what if we chose if we just talked about the things that we share? Because I also think murder is bad. Yeah. And, you know, and so perhaps- So you had that just, one. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So let's, like, choose to inhabit this little island of what we share yeah. and see if it grows under yeah. our feet. Right. If we just live on it right. for a minute. And he was just amazing the way he was willing to do that with me. And so I sort of downloaded to him, like, okay, so every life is sacred. Um, well, then, like, why did we take that duty to retreat out of self-defense law? Uh-huh. I don't understand that. Right. And so, it, you know, kind of like that stuff, the most crazy out there aggressively pro-death uh-huh. stuff that's in a lot of gun law. Yeah. That's what I wanted to talk to him about. And he said, he, he kind of narrowed his eyes, just like you did. Yeah. And, um, and he said, I have never thought about it before.
0: Really? Yeah. Because you're so caught up.
2: Yeah. And, th- and that's kind of the magic of just like going to somebody you're not supposed to talk to. Yeah, and saying things you're not supposed to say.
0: Yeah, because everybody gets caught up in their belief system,
2: mm-hmm.
0: and, and there's a certain momentum to it that doesn't right. enable a lot right. of reflection, or they don't take the time right. to do it. Right, and
2: you're highly aware of the people around you, who really there are consequences, you know, right for right. saying something or or admitting you know you might be right about that, and um, so that's why you go quietly and it's just the two of you when you offer friendship.
0: Yeah, it, right, and and those kind of not knowing what those consequences are, insulating yourself in a point of view with a certain community of people has now become uh, extreme.
2: Yeah, exactly.
0: So, like, not only do they not see consequences, uh, but they they don't register them as real, right? Or that you know, it's right. just it, now with sort of uh, bubble culture.
1: I mean, when kind of I crazy. was
2: so so all the way up to Donald Trump's nomination, yeah, that minister from Armor of Light, Rob yeah. Shank, and I would go. From church to church, far right wing churches yeah. across the Midwest, yeah. we'd show the film and then we'd stay there and talk. And and I I was like a space alien because I would say I am a pro choice feminist all my adult life. Yeah, but I don't think you're crazy or bad. Yeah, can we just talk? Yeah, and so there would happen these extraordinary conversations. Yeah, and for them it seemed crazy that I you know i wasn't an obvious murderer i didn't drink children's blood i didn't yeah. delight in the in the yeah. you know in this awfulness and that i had a decent set of human values i mean one of the things rob said to me was the most surprising thing to me about you as i got to know you was how much you loved your children <laughs>
1: Huh. And, and I just, I
2: can't get over that. And so that's the kind of thing, like, if you go to Krispy Kreme, but I yeah. only go to McDonald's, yeah. and if you, you know, the way we're segregating now, Yeah. and and that kind of amazing conversation that we had went right until the end of July of 2016, yeah. and then it was like a hammer came down. Right. Yeah, and With and the Trump presidency. Yeah, and, and just his nomination, I mean, honestly, yeah. people weren't sure that summer. And you know, we—I was talking to people. Well, maybe Ted Cruz, maybe it's Marco uh-huh. Rubio, and you know, and they were trying to figure it out. And then, it was like the, an edict came down. Yeah. I mean, they don't really have a pope, but they—they right. have, they have like a bunch of guys that serve like a pope. Yeah. And the and the bunch of guys had a meeting and made a decision. Was, I, it was w- when they got Mike Pence. It was like within man.
0: the ev- evangelical community. Yeah. 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 But okay, so going back to um, what what this. Uh, what this new doc is about um which is a family thing in a way
2: yeah very much
0: and but you as we were coming in here you said you uh the new doc is the american dream and other fairy tales yeah. that's what the, that's what it's it's called and it's it's rooted in the the workplace dynamics and wage dispar- disparity uh, in the Disney company. Mm-hmm. And you're at Disney.
2: Yes, I am.
0: And you grew up around here.
2: Yes, I did. Glendale, <laughs> California. <laughs> there's a lot
0: of Disney in Glendale.
2: Yeah. There's tons of Disney in Glendale. Yeah. yeah. That's why we lived here.
0: Right. Of, yeah. And, and it was, I think, didn't it sort of come about, wasn't the original Disney studio in Burbank right here? Um
2: it- Hyperion yeah, um, right. Boulevard over um, in Silver Lake. Close, yeah, exactly. In those bungalows. And, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And, and unfortunately, so I think it's a Whole Foods now or, or a Gale's. Oh, there. yeah, um, right there. where the studio actually was. Oh, that was where the studio yeah. was? Right yeah. there at Hyperion in yeah. Gundale? Glendale. Yeah. Right. Well,. You know, over a little more over Hillwise and Silver Lake, and then and then they went to Burbank, and they're still there on that lot in Burbank. But they moved Animation to Glendale, and ABC
1: um, over
2: there,
0: right off of. Oh, before ABC, they moved
2: Animation to Glendale for a long time, and they had um, Imagineering in Glendale because it was near Caltech.
0: Okay and that's where like they were training people almost
2: Imagineering was where they brought in people who were trained in engineering but used their imaginations right. <laughs> that was why sure. it's called and so they wanted people with physics degrees and electric engineering degrees that's where the audio animatronics came from I mean I mem- remember walking through there as a child
0: the animatronics for the park
2: Yeah yeah right, and, like I remember seeing the the Wicked Witch's head in the in the ball, the hologram. Yeah. I, I remember watching them work on that. Oh, theory. really? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: But the, but this was but there was a whole different division around the film stuff, right?
2: Yeah, and and the films were mostly on the lot over there in Burbank. Yeah, um, and they shot tons of stuff on that lot. They you know they didn't like locations.
0: So your dad was Roy O Disney?
2: No, my Roy grandfather e. was Roy O. My father was Roy E. My brother is Roy P. My nephew is Roy. O. <laughs> and
0: your and your grandfather's brother is Walt. And so it was yeah. your grandfather and Walt that right. were the Disneys who built right. the company.
2: Right. And it was called the Disney Brothers Studio at first.
1: Originally. Yeah. And my, yeah. my
2: grandfather didn't like it. Yeah. He, he's like, I'm not drawing. I'm not doing that stuff. Yeah. So, you know, I'll, I'll take care of the books. I'll make sure the law is in order, all that stuff. But, you know, you just go do your imagination. Walt
0: was right. the uh, the, yeah. the mad wizard.
2: Yes, <laughs> exactly.
0: But, like, when you're growing up here, um, I mean... I have to imagine it was an all immersive Disney experience all the time,
2: yeah, yes and no,
0: because was when you were a kid your your father hadn't taken he wasn't oh, part of the company no, my yet.
2: father always was part of the company no oh, he was, so my father came up and was um an editor, and he shot things, and he he was making films all my whole time growing up. Oh, really? So if you watched on Sunday night, yeah. you know, and you saw like a story about a boy and his dog yeah. or a boy and his baby bear that got loose and he tamed him or something yeah. like that, yeah. that was my dad. He made tons he of those. he
0: made the uh the weekly uh yeah. Disney movies for yeah. the what was it called? The uh, Walt the Disney Wonderful Hour, World of Wonderful Disney. World of Disney yeah. with the fireworks.
2: Yeah, that there you go. <laughs> that was the sound of Little Mark.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you remember it's like Sunday night, right? Yeah,
2: exactly. It was so fun and the, like the the, you know, once every year, year and a half one of his would come on and we'd all sit oh, around yeah. and we'd applaud his this name when it would come up. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. He made one he made one about a peregrine falcon. Oh. Um, that it was the one time he really fought with his father. This is, I'm really proud of him for this. Oh, yeah. Um, because uh, they, they were making a story about how this peregrine falcon kept sitting on her eggs and they would break. And oh. it was very tragic. And, you know, all the anthropomorphizing and, you yeah, know, yeah, it, was, yeah. it was a whole plot. It wasn't, was sad was it, it
0: wasn't animated, though,
1: right? It no, was, no, no it, these it was were live like,
2: action. So right, he was right. really interested in the wildlife stuff. Yeah. And um, wildlife was very much part of what they were thinking about what they needed to do in the 1960s and 70s and so sunday night much of it was wildlife if you Yeah right well,
0: they they'd have a narrator right and Exactly and, yes. Winston
2: Hibbler would often do it right. he lived and, down yeah. the street <laughs> So the
0: mom bird sat down exactly. and that kind and of then stuff. the
2: egg broke and so the narration is DDT um, because of DDT, the egg broke, and I guess Union Carbide was one of the sponsors. And so my grandfather was like, "No, you don't get to say it, Union Carbide." So and the DDT
0: that the the bird was consuming was creating fragile eggs.
2: Yeah, and that's the huge part of the story of yeah. the what the, why raptors almost disappeared from huh. the United States. And so he remade the dialogue to say something like pesticides oh,
0: okay so general and,
2: but it got through and years later people at the audubon society gave him this big award because like most of them had seen that as children <laughs> <laughs> and most of them had said nope we're not letting the peregrine falcon disappear i i love that because you never know this is what's so great about making a film and 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 doing it like with integrity is like you don't know. Well, and that what little well, kid is seeing it and changing.
0: That is an interesting message because you know all kids were taking in Disney in some way,
2: mm-hmm.
0: and it, it was sort of a, a rare thing that it wasn't part of the consolidated vision mm-hmm. of of Disney, no. and that your dad just got committed to this idea, yeah, and it planted these seeds,
2: yeah. Yeah, and, and he, like, so he didn't know the seeds. He was just throwing them out there. But and they were it was like a, wildflowers. It
0: was such a, a, a rare thing for Disney to do that.
2: Well, yeah, kind of. I, I think maybe... I mean, when they started the wonderful world of Disney, I don't yeah. think they were thinking of this vertical integration and yeah. and you know synergy and all the rest of that. That came in the 80s yeah, 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 with yeah, yeah, the yeah, new leadership and, yeah. sure. and a new ideology about business. I mean, that's so, partly what the film is about, is that ideology about business.
0: Corporate business. Radically yeah. changed. Right. And I think that there's some good information in there. But like when you're a kid, so it starts with, I mean, really the Disney operation starts with the movies and then, you know, Walt, right. you know, designs this. Strange World.
2: Yes, exactly. Exactly. So there's the little animated seven minute shorts, right? Yeah. That's where he started.
0: The Steamboat Willie
1: and whatnot. Exactly.
2: And then and like everybody was churning out those things. Sure. Um and he had a hit with this thing called Oswald the Lucky Rabbit, but yeah. he hadn't nailed down the copyright. Uh-huh. And so it was taken from him by his distributor. It's part of the reason my grandfather's important, because he was like, okay, hold on now. Yeah. <laughs> and then, then they figured Then they figured out licensing. Yeah. Um, Because licensing was massive, right? So right. all of a sudden, little Mickey Mouse toys and the beginnings of the watches and things like that start happening. So, ooh, look, two income streams. Yeah, yeah. The, the movie was crazy to make yeah. a whole feature-length film. Yeah. I mean, because, like, can you imagine every single frame was hand-drawn, sure. hand-painted, multiple layers? Because he invented a, a multi- planar camera to give the sense of three dimensions he invented that shit yeah so you know it's kind of amazing my father was born in 1930 they were very very successful at that point but she said i really wasn't sure when our next meal was coming from Really? Because Your every- mom said that? My grandmother. Oh, yeah. She said every single thing that they made, they plowed right back into the company. Okay. And so for the first 30 years, wow. it was just risk, 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 risk. And somehow my grandfather was along for that ride. Being the sensible guy he was, Yeah, and thank God he had, there was a sensible guy there, because I don't think would have- been able to survive. So, Walt
0: was just, you know, kind of a, a chaotic yeah, uh, yeah. A, a, you know, genius?
2: Yes, that's exactly right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, which is not to so say he didn't have a business sense or whatever, but he wasn't like planning that I will have this empire and that yeah. everything will be connected. He was really driven by the creativity.
0: Well, you know, a lot of people put that on him, you know, because like even me when I was talking to my producer, I'm like, yeah, I want to find out if Walt was uh, anti-Semitic. And my producer was, he kind of said, well, I think Walt was a a, a, a kind of a a pre-war conservative Mm -hmm. and whatever was part of that ideology was probably there, but he was not any sort of rabid, you you know, fascist or...
2: Well... he, he he bordered on rabbit fascism instead of my <laughs> grandfather, borderline, right?
0: <laughs> borderline uh, rabbit fascism. And,
2: and, and you can go back and you can find like the original Three Pigs. Have you ever seen that? The Three Little Pigs?
0: I don't think so. Okay,
2: so the original Three Little Pigs movie is, was one of their sort of, I think it was 16 minutes. Ago, yeah. So it was a bit of a pushing it experiment. Yeah. And the original um, Big Bad Wolf is a Jewish peddler. Mm. I kind of remember seeing this. They were not shy about delving into the stereotypes if it served them or they thought it served them to do so. And and it got bad. If you look at Dumbo and the Crows, one of those Crows is named Jim Crow. Right. So, you know, and then when they made um, Song of the South, look, people from the NAACP came to the studio and said, please don't do it this way. Please talk to us. Paul Robeson turned down the part. I mean, so they knew they were making... It's something. Well, that was I mean, really well, offensive.
0: that's sort of the argument is that, like, you, you know, that Disneyland in and of itself, in, in its mm-hmm. enclosed way, is some sort of American fascist fantasy.
2: Well, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's what it is. I mean, it is, and it isn't. The pro- the thing is that, like, I think what um, they they were men of their time. Um, and that's not an excuse, right? To 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 not give a shit that the NAACP says this is. These are the ways in which this hurts. So, yeah please so don't the, do it.
0: That voice was out there. Then that it wasn't voice like, was there. Yeah,
2: it wasn't like, oh, oops, yeah. <laughs> we didn't know that this would be horrible. They knew. What and year was they that? And they Song of the South, um, of South is fifty. Br, I want to say 58, 54 Right, maybe. But like, okay, we've got a civil rights movement. Yeah. Things are happening. You know, there are consequences, and and they had an idea of how the world worked, right? And in the idea of how the world worked, sadly, that involves people remaining in their places. I think that for them, it was more a question of, order than superiority or anything like that. Oh, don't yeah. don't yeah, mess with the system. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: And, and, and Walt, when he builds Disneyland, I mean, I, one of the most interesting things to me about the place is how unconscious you are of where you are once you're there. Yeah,
0: like, I mean, I've been there. I was there when I was a kid, and I think I've been there as an adult maybe twice because yeah. of people that I've been yeah. dating who yeah. <laughs> were fixated on it.
2: <laughs> Tell me that wasn't a deal-breaker. I mean... No, I but... It's kind you know, of they, odd to me always.
0: What When there are grown-ups who are yeah. fixated on Disneyland... Yeah, I'm not sure what it was about, but when I went back, you do feel you're kind of fascinated by the design of it, that how yeah. effective you are in a, a different yeah. world fairly yeah. quickly.
2: Well, the very, the very first thing, the very most important part of the design is this huge um, um, earthwood mark, berm. Around the park,
1: yeah, right, and yeah. and it's
2: planted and landscaped and everything like yeah. that. So you're not even conscious you're going through some kind of barrier. Yeah, when you walk in through the gate, It's yeah. very subtle. Yeah, um, but it it grows pretty tall, and yeah. so you don't even see the tops of the buildings right, around you. Exactly. It's quite remarkable, yeah. actually, piece yeah. of design, and that was very very conscious. This is this is a perfect world, and We're this is all show wall- you a perfect world, right? And and so there's 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 benign and passive prejudice, and then there's active and malign prejudice that's how I divide it in my head and much of what's in Disneyland is the benign and passive kind in the sense that like I'm going to replicate everything good I remember about my Midwest upbringing and and so like here's this main street and these are the barbershop quartet and and it's all just very perfect and so when we decided in the film to kind of bring race up it honestly feels impertinent. You know, it feels like, well, what does that got to do with anything? You know, there's no, no nothing happening here, but yeah. of course the thing's happening there by design. Um, and in the early days, part of that whole barbershop quartet routine and whatever yeah. is Aunt Jemima yeah. singing and dancing and tap dancing, yeah. you know, and and so they were, they were tapping into the stereotypes when it helped them to advance a narrative because they saw the place as a narrative, but a place.
0: Right and this and 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 that also reflected some of the uh like the stories that the films were t- telling. Right, I mean Exactly. You, you, and but, but when you were a kid, you know, you're in ga- how many like cousins and stuff do you have? How many Disney's mm-hmm. how, what's the extended Disney
1: family?
2: It's it's not as big as you would imagine. Right. Walt had two daughters. Yeah. And um his first daughter Diane um married and had I think eight children. I saw so it. there were a lot of kids. Yeah. And um Sharon had three children. Yeah. Um, and and so obviously we, we were as cousins, we were all lots of them were around the same age, we saw a lot of them. Then there was kind of a falling out. My father was an only child and then there's the four of us. Yeah. And um after Walt died, my grandfather kind of stepped in and helped finish Disney World and you know and then died very suddenly almost immediately afterwards. And then there was some leadership um, questions. Vacuum. And so there was a really a rivalry, right? The nephew or the son-in-law. I and mean, it was this classic patriarchal setup, right? your dad
0: <laughs> or the son-in- law? Yeah. yeah. and
2: uh, so there was like kind of a rivalry. Feelings got really charged and yeah. bad. It was really unfortunate and very personal. But
0: when you all were kids, y'all were got we along. hung
2: out and we loved each other. Where did
0: everybody live? What was the big family house? Where was Walt's house?
2: Walt's house was in Homely Hills. Yeah. Um. And so once, um, once things got rough between my dad and our cousin, yeah, that we just stopped seeing each other. Yeah, which is heartbreaking and bad. I mean, yeah, I hated that. So we never really saw them, and we grew up in Toluca Lake. Um, which is like just minutes. Right down
0: here, yeah. yeah. Oh, and that's, and that's so you're just right across take, town. Yeah. And it's, and you're all in LA. It's kind of trippy yeah. in the sense that, like, where, so once you kind of grow up and you're a Disney and, you know, you're vested yes. in the company. And, in many
2: ways. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and, uh, you know, when do you start, you know, outside of your childhood experience and the insulated nature of, of being privy to all this, you know, magical stuff? Mm. I mean, what do you do with your life? You know, what's you. <laughs>
2: what? Well, that is the question of my life, right? <laughs> what do you do with your life? Because you know, it feels like there are two options: what is to turn your back, run, 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 never but, look I mean, back. But as, as your a kid, thing. are you
0: running around? Are you trying acting? I mean, what do you? You know,
2: I you know. well, I went off to college. And uh, started to study English literature and just thought that was like the best thing ever, um, Yale. Oh, yeah. And so from there, I went on to get a Ph.D. and I had settled in New York and so I stayed in New York. And honestly, being in New York was great because I just I never really liked L.A. very much. I didn't love the city. Um, but
0: your other siblings stayed out yeah here?
2: yeah and and I and I just dreamed of being in a different kind of a place and there was something about New York everybody bumping into each other sure. LA is kind of like I'm here the car's going by over there you don't sure like, there's a lot long- how, how
0: how but how deep was the you know was there a, 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 a was it rebellious
2: yes yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> do I really have to tell you that I was still no rebellious. but
0: uh, but I mean you know because it just means that you, you know something, the brainwashing of a of a childhood uh, in 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 yeah. the Disney family, yeah, you know, outside of the park and everything else. I mean. Right. That's a, lot. That's a lot. That's not just sort of like yeah. my parents are conservative. It's sort yeah. of like, yeah, we are the ones that th- it's that <laughs> Disney. There are no other yeah. Disney. There
2: are no other Disney. <laughs> so, if you know, like if you're related to the Kennedy's, you know, you just well, go yeah. disappear into That's the right. world. But sure. I don't get to do that. I, and so, it, you know, I lied a lot when people would ask if I was related. And once my dad was standing behind me and. He, he looked so much like Walt. Yeah, and somebody said, "If oh, are you related," and I was like, "No." And he just dissolved into laughter, standing right behind me. <laughs>
0: well, but not, <laughs> but not unlike the Kennedys, it doesn't always go well for Kennedys.
2: No, it doesn't. It doesn't. And, and, you think it always goes well for Disney?
0: No, that's what I'm saying. Is that like <laughs> you just said, like you, you know, you, that Kennedys can go off and do other things. They can't Kennedy, really.
2: That's no. <laughs> <laughs> they
0: they always turn up Kennedy somehow. <laughs> You know? Yeah,
2: tossing the football while you're skiing. Yeah, but doesn't. Was,
0: were there tragedies within the family? No, in, no
2: nothing, in that nothing way? Kennedy-esque yeah. like that. We, we,
0: <laughs> no we, drugs or car yeah. accidents?
2: <laughs> well, we have our share of drugs. Sure. Drugs, happen. Yeah. drugs happen to all of us. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, and I think if you talk about uh, drug and addiction and all that kind of thing in any family where there's resources, sure, um, you'll it's see there. that actually it's harder to get sober. Much harder to get sober when you have money. When you have money, yeah, you know, it's 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 like it's so hard when you're abjectly poor and you have to go back to the same neighborhood with no support and all the rest, right. of it. And then it's so hard when you're like trapped in a family, can't really get out of it because you rely on it for your money. Yeah, everybody's telling you you're brilliant, and smart, and perfect and yeah. you run the world. And and you know, I mean, I always thought it was so important that with Betty Ford when she went to the um, Naval Hospital. Before yeah. there was such a thing as Betty Ford, and they put her through the rehab program, the first thing they did was now scrub the toilet, and she was like, "I'm the first lady. I'm not scrubbing any toilets." And and of course, immediately she got it. It was like, "Oh yeah, that's right. I use a toilet. I should that's be right. able to scrub it." Right. <laughs> you know, and and that whole thing of like you're not too good to scrub the toilet. Right. I think is like one of the first and most important things about getting sober Sure. just. Being a regular member of the human race, yeah, with yeah. Everybody worker else. among
0: workers, yeah, service exactly. first,
2: and and um, wealthy, especially wealthy men, have a very hard time getting there.
0: Yeah, you seem to be talking passionately about this as if oh, yeah. it's from experience.
2: Mm-hmm. Of course it is. Of course it is. <laughs> Are you, you sober? I'm. I'm not. I'm complicated. I'll okay. just say that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very al and uh, oh yeah, and um, I read Lois's book. Out. We talked yeah, about that. Yeah, you read yeah. Lois's book? Yeah, it's it's like her little memoir. I can't oh, remember what it's called. Yeah. It's a fascinating book. It yeah. really is because I can picture all these nice ladies out in the kitchen uh-huh. drinking coffee while their men are over there, and somehow the it's all their problem, and yeah. it's all about them. And like you know, I can see how Al-Anon would come out of those. Well, it's like, like someone that.
0: told me a brilliant thing that really stuck with me. Yeah, I got a long time sober, and I've done my share of. Uh, Uh, You know, uh, Al-Anon work as well. But someone said to me, uh, you know, the difference between like something like ACOA Mm -hmm. and Al-Anon is that, you know, Al-Anon was written for for people who want to stay, you know, which is a really interesting distinction.
2: It's a really interesting distinction. And like, you know, if it's your parents, you know.
0: Yeah. Right,
2: like yeah, I guess the option is not to stay, but it's a pretty that's a pretty nuclear option.
0: Sure, yeah, uh, but I mean, it's just it's framing that the kind of detachment thing. Yeah,
1: you know.
2: yeah,
0: but but yeah. so but you go to New York and you go to Yale mm-hmm. was well, so in, in terms of like how screwed up was your brain around because yeah. what year is that? I mean, the whole
2: seventy eight.
0: Okay, yeah, so, oh, so it's later. So how did you fare? Like, I mean, you're a little older than me, but not much. But we were not uh, really kind of. That cognizant in the '60s when culture really started to shift, mm-hmm. but did you have did you have any sense of what was going on with the company then? Like when there was uh, you know actual you know, radical activism going on everywhere, yeah. and that, Disneyland yeah. is just sort of this little pocket. I of know, whatever.
2: right? Because Disney did this crazy thing where, and one of the charges that they're anti-Semitic is there they are in the late '60s, mid '70s, and they still haven't hired a Jew. Yeah, I mean, like you're in the film on the business, corporate, yeah. And you don't, I mean, you had to be working hard not to hire Jewish yeah, people. So, yeah. so, so that's there. And that was in the political environment I was raised in too. It was sort of just, nobody said, oh, Jews bad. And we yeah. work with Jewish people. But at the same time, it yeah. wasn't like, you yeah. know, there was, it, it was sort of, you know, it's like a fog in the house, you know, sure, this but kind there, of ideology.
0: Bet, but there were also those people within the business. And I imagine that was really the issue where they were like, you know, the Jews can't have everything.
2: Well, yeah. I mean, yeah, like, like, you, you know, know. Toluca Lake, the country club over there in uh-huh. Toluca Lake,
1: yeah,
2: um, it was set up as sort of in reaction to the LA Country Club,
1: uh-huh.
2: which was, didn't have Jews in it. Right, right. right. Because they, they didn't want Jews. Yeah. And so, um, But so Riverside was set up and that was for movie people. And right. that was a way of saying, oh, yeah. Jews can come to the club. <laughs> so Toluca to Lake was, okay, we want movie people, but no Jews.
1: Oh, yeah. <laughs>
2: that was like... <laughs> That was the Lakeside Country Club, it's, which is bizarre, right? So a little right-wing enclave sort of formed in Toluca Lake. Okay. And so you had your Bing Crosby and your Bob Hope and, yeah, yeah. and people like that. Yeah. And um, we actually had, around that lake, we had like Amelia Earhart and W.C. Fields. I mean, it wow. was crazy around that lake. But um, but really, in fact, that country club is was Is that where lake. Amelia
0: landed? <laughs> <Is> she, <laughs> right, is it, she's was at she just the bottom the of the lake.
2: It's <laughs> not... I should have looked. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs>
2: the rumor is they had like these ducks on the lake. No, what am I saying? They had swans on the lake. Yeah. And um, WC Fields apparently used to get just completely lit and come out with a shotgun. <laughs> oh, right. uh,
0: yeah, yeah. Wow, that's quite a history. <laughs> but but you know, in the '60s, I mean, that was around the time where the Wonderful World Disney, Disney was on. And, uh, when did your dad make the the Falcon right. one?
2: So so he made that in the '70s, right? Um. My grandfather died. Let's so say he must have made that in the 60s because my grandfather died in 1971. My dad stayed at the company until 78, so he kept doing that. And, and then he ended up leaving because he was really kind of at war and being treated, he felt, really badly. So he went off on his own and started investing money, and he made his own documentary and doing other things. Uh-huh. And um, what was but he his... stayed on the board.
0: Okay. And what was his position at the company when he left?
2: Uh, he was, I think, head of sixteen millimeter productions. Oh, okay. So when he and left. who was
0: running the place?
2: And it was Ron Miller, our, our cousin's husband, and oh, he did um do. yeah. And the folks that sort of supported Ron Miller.
0: So you 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 go to Yale, you get your PhD, and then you know what is your life?
2: Um, I'm teaching a little bit, but by then In I've had yeah, and then by then I've had started having children. Yeah. So I just sort of like. Hunkered down over my children and did a lot In of Manhattan? not-for-profit work. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So and it, that was where my political life was.
0: It started there. Yeah. And what was all of it? Do you find uh, a reaction to? Yes.
2: You don't have to finish that question. (laughs) Yeah, I mean I I definitely did the predictable thing where if you say right I'll say left. If you say up, I'll say down. I did that through my twenties and into my thirties. But by the time I got into my thirties and I had started working like with these small women's foundations. Did you ever say
0: like I don't want the money?
2: No, <laughs> I, I I did say yeah. I shouldn't want the money. <laughs> right, right. But but I had to tell myself the truth. You know, honestly, it's a little bit of a hot house flower problem. Uh-huh. You don't know for sure you can you can swim unless you know what I mean. And so I came right up to the edge of giving it all away more than once, yeah. and then chickened out. Yeah, and I'm I you know I hate that about myself. I probably should have, but at the same time there was so much I could see that I could do that seemed good.
0: Well, yeah, that seemed to be the the right shift. Like, you know, I I imagine like, you know, disinheriting yourself or, 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 or dumping your stock options you know would would be the natural kind of immature rebellion
2: right 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 to follow
0: through with there or, are
2: great people who do that and have done it and um um chuck collins from the hormel family did yeah. that and is a really great advocate for inequality i mean against inequality and and uh, he runs inequality.org he's, he's from really, hormel like, meat mhm and yeah. he and he just said no i yeah. don't want it and has lived happily ever after. Is he a perfectly vegetarian? Yeah, I'm not sure. <laughs> I yeah,
0: it be, if it was similar to your situation, you would think he yeah. would be an animal rights activist.
2: Yeah, <laughs> right? exactly. But
0: like, but but were you at at, at at different times in your life among these American billionaire family, the billionaire class?
2: I I have um I have known those folks, and yeah. then among them, like either because they were there where I went to school, yeah. Or once I started getting active in um, in giving money away, I would yeah. meet the daughters of families like this. Sure. And daughters are different. Yeah. Um, it's a different thing to be a woman so, in a family like that. But
0: you, but you found people you related to. Yeah. I would sure. imagine. I mean,
2: that saved me. If I hadn't, I think I would have like lost who? my mind. Well, you know, not going to name names, but oh. um, <laughs> there are people from pretty prominent families who, like, women... It's, so you're not expected to take over, you know, like they look at you and go, oh, look, an extra, mm. you know. And and so th- there's a mercy in that, right, because it's like, oh, nobody expects anything of me, so I can kind of do what I want. Yeah. Um. I think it's a little harder on the men because it's a little bit like this toadstool they grow up under. Oh, God, I've got to do that and I've got to do it better. They've and got to, like,
0: they've got to e- e- e sort of uh, uh, e- e- evolve into a leader of some kind.
2: Yeah, exactly. And like, yeah. what if that's not what you were going to be? Um,
0: then you become a drug addict or it, a rock yeah, musician. a lot of
2: people. <laughs> yeah. A lot of people choose that path or, or fall into that path. And so for me, there was a little bit of a freedom in it. And so I did a lot of like, um, I went on to boards and helped raise money. And I figured out grant making and philanthropy and foundations. This and is stuff why you're like raising that. your
0: kids. And what's your yeah, husband exactly. do?
2: exactly. He's a writer.
0: writer. You're still with him? Yeah,
2: yeah. Oh, wow. That's pretty yeah. good. I know. Amazing. From 19... 19- <laughs> 79. Wow. That's crazy, yeah, right? Good for you, yeah. But there's a little uh, four-year awfulness oh, yeah. in the middle there. You've got to have your awfulness.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Things got bad for a while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. came back around. We
2: found, it, we found our way back. But uh, And we have four kids, and uh, they're spectacular. Yeah. And I, I chalk a lot of that up to being in New York where... I mean, if we'd been here, there would have been like, "Oh, there's they're opening a ride down at the park," or "Oh, there's a new movie," and like the temptation to go and do that and stand in the front. And so your siblings
0: that grew up with that. They had oh, kids, and it's like yeah. you know, it's like, "Hey, we can yeah. go to Disneyland."
2: Well, I mean, like they don't do it as much right. as all that, yeah. you know. Um, but they, yeah, there's that. Do you didn't get want special, special cards that. and stuff? Um, yeah. Exactly, and uh, and then there's yeah. things like private airplanes, which are, yeah. I you know I came to believe after using them for a while, um, kind of bad for you. Yeah, and um, so for your d- mind. Yeah, they're 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 bad for your spirit. They're, they're the
0: Disney-owned airplane. Um, that you no, can it's my just...
2: father's owned airplane. He has okay. seven thirty-seven.
0: Wow, that's I mean, a big point. I mean, can you fucking
2: imagine? I know, like, there, and there was one time when I was flying home because I needed to get home and I was there at a meeting with the family and the business and everything. Yeah. And uh, I'm the only person on a 737 with a queen-size bed <laughs> that has a giant seatbelt, like that the FAA requires. You put this giant seatbelt on the queen-size bed. <laughs> yeah. And the, oh, people bringing me things, you know, and I have really lowbrow tastes. I want Diet Coke and French onion dip yeah, and Lay's yeah, potato yeah, chips. Yeah. And it just all in Waterford, Crystal, or the rest of it. And, and that was the trip where I thought, oh, just no. How old were you? No, I was in my 30s. I mean, I I would love to tell you I was 18 and I just had so much principle. It took me a while to get that much principle. Yeah, Yeah. Um, Yeah. It takes a while. It's like making your way out of the forest. You know, you have to part this, you know, curtain of vines and go through it. And it's scary. And
0: to figure out like, you know, how I I imagine that there's a guilt driven element of philanthropy and Uh and uh and activism and 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 that you know at some point if that's what you're doing you realize that it's it's reaction based so to actually walk the walk and own Mm -hmm. yourself in in that in activism uh and that's a different thing
2: yeah it it takes a lot of time i i think guilt is a much maligned um state of mind i don't I don't actually think it's as horrible as all that. It is reactive, and no, you no. no I mean, reactive. I think
0: it, it drives a, a, a tremendous amount. Without exactly. guilt, there'd be no charity. Exactly.
2: <laughs> exactly. I mean, not
0: everybody's that service-oriented um, or Christian about right. things. Right. Exactly. Yeah.
2: Exactly. But like, what you want to do is move past the reaction to something like justice, you know, and, and charity is not justice. Yeah. This is not. No, justice. then
0: you get into a more Jewish element of, uh, <laughs> of the old school thinking where, yeah. you know, to, to, you know, to, you truly have concern for those in need and, exactly. and, and to sort of bring the underclass up to right. Uh, right. where, yeah, right. I, I, yeah, I mean, it's, yeah. it's, 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 it's a hell of a life in terms of trying to make that cause it'd be so, not easy mentally or emotionally or spiritually to just live your rich life well
2: well, rich people the people doing most of the charity and philanthropy yeah. in the world are really poorly uh prepared for genuine justice
0: yeah.
2: um by just being rich well
0: because they hire people to actually do the charity
2: yes well there's that but also philanthropy consultants like, i imagine you're, you're not taught to listen to people mm. you're not taught to shut up and just hear somebody else's point of view and think that. what no, about they empathy know. The, empathy it gets a bit of a workout when you have money because you can separate yourself from people. You can look at, from a distance. And you can you rationalize. For, and you forget yeah. what, it, what it hurts like. Like, or what if is ever the last knew rich person you knew who had to stand in line much longer than they really wanted to stand in line? That's actually a powerful, important human experience, right? Standing in line. Standing in line is everybody has equal importance in this line. And I got here 27th. So I'm going to be the 27th person, regardless of how important I think I am. That is fucking huge.
0: Yeah, I get frustrated. Like, you know, like I've earned some money over time. And now that I have a little money, I do always, you know, generally when I'm in a line, think like, is there any way I can avoid this line? Isn't
2: there... (laughs) Isn't there a private way? Is there a guy way? I can
0: call? You know, where I can...
2: <laughs> exactly. And like, so if, if you you're grow immersed, up with that. If you grow up and you're yeah. immersed in that, it's really hard not to wonder, like, isn't there a private entrance? Sure. Yeah, should yeah. I go around the side? And there is. Should I, yeah, There you. almost always is. Uh. Yeah, there almost always is. And that's why I hate private airplanes more than anything.
0: So so that was your real kind of a white light moment, the airplane?
2: Uh, well, you know what? There's no epiphany big enough to get you... To humanity, mm. you know, and and like because this is it's like being being raised with all these resources mm. makes you different. Yeah, and F. Scott Fitzgerald famously said, "The rich are different, not because they're born different, but because they become different, because their circumstances are so changed just by money." Because this is a highly Classified society. Well, yeah, you the know?
0: 1% when you really think about now with the disparity and, and, and how it's pictured is like, because I know now I, I know peers of mine who were who are fucking comics who yeah. make a hundred million dollars, yeah, exactly. right? So so all of a sudden, you know, they enter that world. Yeah, exactly. And, and, you know, there's more people in that world now.
1: Yeah. yeah. It yeah.
0: seems. I mean, there's obviously the richy richest of the rich, yeah. but there is a class of people yeah. within that. I think the 1% is probably 3% now. Yeah. We.
2: Well, yeah. <laughs> You know the thing is that actually it's still only one percent and less than one percent really. Um, It's just that um, there are more famous people in it because of the way media pays. Um, Okay, yeah, so that that, that's the thing, and so you've heard of more of them, right? Um,
0: But but I guess what I'm saying is that that rarefied life is they can only hang out with each other, and they can't. You know, it's you can no longer. You don't function. You're not part of. the 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 real world, so to speak.
2: Yeah. the The first lesson when you get to college is, you you can't talk about your life when everybody else is talking about their lives, Mm. Um, because they're like, oh my god, you know, I don't have enough money to pay for the books this year, and like everybody's, that's what people get together and talk about when you're in college. And you're like, yeah, yeah. Well, the first time it's spoken, you never forget it. (laughs) Yeah. So you know to shut up because, and this is why. Um, A lot of people like me go, they dress like shit, you know, I would take a cab and get out 10 blocks before where I was going, you know, and they live in a hovel and you kind of pretend you sort of, you're a tourist in it. But you know but you know there's if as long as you know there's a there's a safety button that you could push sure. and leave that reality then you're not in that reality
0: right really. but but there i think it, there is uh, it's not totally without earnestness t- I- in terms Memory. of like you you want to have that experience but you can't have it genuinely right exactly yeah.
2: so you prefer your kid to have that ingenuine experience sure. I, and and you you prefer them to want that experience god knows yeah then then you know yeah. we've also seen kids respond really differently um and And they learn a lot. You know, my daughter worked for a while at a a strip club in New Orleans on Bourbon Street selling... Uh Um, you know, these drinks called hand grenades uh-huh. out onto the sidewalk. yeah, and, yeah she got her experience. <laughs>
0: <laughs> How did you, was that her rebellion? That's uh, of interesting. course. Yeah.
2: <laughs> of course.
0: Yeah, that's funny. You went to Yale to rebel and she's yeah. out in Bourbon she's, Street yes. handing out giant drinks.
2: <laughs> we all find our way. Yeah.
0: And she's, uh, she came back around.
2: She's, well, I wouldn't she say back have, around, she was, but she has grown into a yeah. spectacular human doing oh, her own oh, thing. Good. She has a book coming out next year.
0: Oh, about what? Yeah,
2: About her life. Oh really? Yeah. Oh that's yeah. interesting. She's a very interesting kid.
0: Uh, how old is she? I'll send you the book. Okay. Um
2: she is well, she's thirty one, I call her kid. She's
0: yeah. thirty one. What's the book about?
2: It's it's like a series of personal essays about oh. identity. Oh, okay. And being a being a knowing you're a Disney, she doesn't have it as a last name, but yeah. knowing you're a Disney Yeah. And 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 People knowing you're at Disney and like where do you find yourself and all that, huh. and and how do you situate yourself? A lot of the things I struggle with. How do you situate yourself relative to what well, you know to be a really really checkered history yeah. uh, around race and class and yeah. the rest of it? And like, what where, yeah. where am I in all this?
0: Well, that's in, well. So you were doing nonprofit work, but when did you step into the media uh, part of it, to, into film? I mean, and what what was really the, your your. Uh, um, your evolution through uh, yeah. nonprofit into actual right. activism. Right.
2: Well, my first of all, I, you know, I just really wanted to be with actual people. So yeah. um, I started working with this thing called the New York Women's Foundation, which just was just freaking genius mm. because we were cross class. And so you were working peer- appear with people that ultimately you would never know otherwise and I'd go out to programs and I'd meet the people who were doing the work of just gluing the city together especially in the 80s when it was not glued together very well and like they tended to be women almost always they tended to be women over and over again I met these amazing women who you know Was so much less than I ever had, you know, we're doing miraculous things. So I I developed a belief system about how it works. Yeah. And so years later, I didn't want to do media. I didn't want to do film. It felt like a trap door I didn't want to step on.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, But I was in Liberia years later because this thing's developed, you know, further and further afield. Yeah. And in 2006, I went to Liberia and I heard this remarkable story about what the women had done there. And like all that time, Having known the kind of women who do this kind of thing, I knew it was true, even though nobody had reported on it. And basically, the Muslim and the Christian women had gotten together across their lines. They had um, formed a peace movement, nonviolently. Yeah. And they forced peace talks. They had a sex strike (laughs) as part of it. And and they um, surrounded the peace talks that eventually happened when they fell apart, and they locked arms. And they held everybody in the building hostage. And, you know, they forced a peace agreement. That's an amazing thing. No newspaper wrote about it. And and I came home furious because I know enough about women's history to know we fucking disappear every yeah. fucking time. The water closes over our heads as we sink. Yeah. And it's like we were never there. And yeah. I was like, damn it, no. And that was the first film I ever made. It was like, th- there's no way. Pray
0: the Devil Back to Hell. Yeah, 2008.
2: Yeah. So watch it. Please watch it.
1: Okay. And, that, and you produce you. that.
2: I produce it. But but it was the director and I made the film together. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah and it was my first experience and like... I remember flying over there with a the crew to shoot, and I was so nervous. I thought, what am I doing? Maybe I imagine this. Like, yeah. Who do I think I am? That sentence goes through my head a lot. Yeah. And I swear to God, my foot hit the tarmac in Monrovia, and I thought, well, I know exactly how to do this job. Yeah. I, I knew it. Yeah. I mean, to the tips of my toes. And, like, I have not looked back since then.
0: <laughs> Good. <laughs> and then the next movie was the one we talked about at the beginning. Yeah. The, well, uh, actually,
2: no, because uh, Pray the Devil Back to Hell turned into a series for PBS called okay. Women, War, and Peace. And we made five films in five different settings about how war plays out differently in the 20th century, 21st century. Um,
0: in relation to for women. women? Oh, okay.
2: And the theory was basically... All war films go with John Wayne. The camera is in John Wayne's head. Mm. And uh, what if you put the camera in a woman's head? How would it feel and look different? And huh. it, it is a very different phenomenon if you look at it through a woman's eyes.
0: Huh? Are you are you in any way engaged with this Ukrainian conflict?
2: Oh yeah. So the woman who in *Pray the Devil Back to Hell* went yeah. on to win the Nobel Peace Prize in 2011. So yeah. awesome. Yeah. And um, she's been engaged with the women in, in Ukraine. So I'm hearing a lot from her. And she's she and the rest of the women who've won Nobel Peace Prizes have been working with the Ukrainian women. All a lot they're very interesting yeah um the you know most of the tram drivers are women yeah and they have never stopped stopped driving in spite huh. of everything and they're I don't know, it's something like 20%, which is the highest percentage in combat history of women in combat. It's it's a very interesting oh, news story. It's wow. very different from what we were talking about back in huh. 2011, yeah.
0: Wow, yeah. So, you, so this has been sort of the through line, was primarily women's yeah. issues initially.
2: That's how I got started, and to tell you the truth, the Armor of Light was a little bit of a women's...
1: Sure, it sounds like it. Made from
2: a women's point of view in the sense that I know conservative women. I was raised by Phyllis Schlafly, basically, yeah. and... And um, conservative women hate women. They really hate women. They yeah. don't trust them. They don't want to talk. I thought you can, if you could move conservative women to think differently about guns, how would they move their families yeah. to behave differently about on the issue and how right. would they vote differently? So that was the thesis. Uh-huh. And I thought I need a man to talk to them yeah. because they won't listen to a woman.
0: <laughs> right. So yeah. you got that guy. Yeah. 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 And he seemed like the right yeah. guy. He once was you, the right. He once just, you turned him around, he's
2: he's more of the right guy now than he was. That I mean, he's he's like basically completely switched. Oh. I overshot, way overshot with him. Yeah. <laughs> he's writing essays about how we shouldn't overturn Roe versus Wade. And what's his name? Like his name is Rob Shenk, huh. and he's a really interesting guy. Siobhan. But you
0: you really turned him around, huh?
2: I didn't mean to. <laughs>
0: uh, I thought that's that's the intent
2: that was like you got one truth be told at the very very beginning that was my fantasy yeah you know turn him around but then I thought honestly like we could all use a little bit of this who do I think I am you know he's a grown man he's responsible for his moral imagination I and I why do I think mine is any better than his sure let's just like be and, like, let's offer each other love and friendship and mm. see what happens. Yeah. And that's literally how that happened.
0: Yeah. Well, congratulations.
2: <laughs> I did it.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so how do you what, – what why was this the time? Because it's interesting in, the, in this new film, uh, which I watched, The American Dream and other fairy tales, that, you know, you lay out, you know, Disney and your relationship with Disney, you know, as a Disney. And, and we've talked about it fairly mm. thoroughly here. But that's not – Necessarily, that's just uh, to sort of define who you are coming into this. I mean, mm-hmm. this is about wage disparity and yeah. and, and labor and and uh, unfair pay and practice. Yeah. Uh, and I guess by by sort of digging in with the Disney thing and focusing on Disney, you can talk to a, a much broader issue. Now, as you said, with the uh, the company in the early eighties after your father left um and your grandfather and they were all dead and this is your your cousin's husband that corporate culture started to shift and i think you do a good job in in showing that you know that yeah. there was this kind of almost evangelical uh idea around mm-hmm. free market yeah uh that that became infused in the culture yeah across yeah. the board yeah. and and we're really paying for that now in a way because like you know that's evolved once it didn't work out for enough you know, people that they couldn't accept that they may have been wrong about free market uh, yeah. capitalism. So now we've shifted in, in into a, a sort of severely fascist grievance. Yes. that's misdirected.
2: That's exactly that's exactly how I see it too. Mm. Yeah, I mean, we we one of the things that's hard to grasp is that that there was a plan. You know, um, and then people made this happen. Yeah. I mean that's so we refer to the the Powell memo. The
0: Powell the Powell memo is something I was obsessed with. Yeah, uh, you know when I was at Air America, you know because right. no one knew about it. Yeah, and this was really something that it, this defines, you know, Republicanism in a way. Yeah, uh, conservative uh, economics, but but really what it was like is that they felt so threatened by the '60s that they, there was a moment yeah. there where they're like, you know, this could tip. Yeah. And capitalism could lose to socialism. Exactly. And we can never let that happen. Yes. Ever. Exactly. That was what Powell, the Powell Memoir yeah. was about. Yeah. And, and he sent it out to the Chamber of Commerce's.
1: And right. that was that.
2: Exactly. Exactly. So and and became a Supreme Court justice, not not incidentally. Yeah. Um. But, you know, so I was raised in a very conservative household. Yeah. Um, and, and in fact, my mother's side of the family was more conservative than my father's side. So these were people who truly, truly, truly believed in this free market idea. Yeah. Well, partly it was um, moral cover. That this idea that, well, free markets do the best and everybody does as well as can be expected in any society under a free market. So we should really throw all in. But the other thing was the wrong people were trying to run the show. You know, and, always. And, and, How is yeah, that not going to
0: happen? It, and also, like, you know, what's weird is about the, the free market idea crashing. Is now we just have a nation of fucking grifters yeah. who believe that you know, by any means necessary, yeah. you get away with it. Ex- oh God,
2: yes, yeah. That's why I call it the assholeification of America. <laughs> yeah. That's like it's because, like, I was there in 1987 when Gordon Gecko said "greed is good," yeah. and he's the villain of the movie. And I saw people in the theater go bananas, applauding him.
0: And that was Milton. Friedman's whole trip
2: yeah well and that came from Ayn Rand right. Milton Friedman loved Ayn Rand yeah, and yeah. by the way so did Alan Greenspan who, right. who was a, a little acolyte? And what about as Leo, a Strauss. Kid, Leo Strauss? Leo Strauss
0: at the Chicago Strauss school, Strauss right? Strauss
2: and, and and others, yeah. Hayek and and von yeah, yeah. Mises and yeah. the rest of them. There was a whole set. Of, and by the way, right when people are once again reading von Mises and Hayek and those, and so they're once again picking up those books and talking them because they want on a, the radio. a they want
0: a, a new intellectual class yeah. around these philosophical ideas right. that have caused this cancer,
2: right? And <laughs> and. and and the, and the idea, actually, what I meant when I said the wrong people were running the show yeah. was there is an idea among people who are wealthy and powerful that if you're not wealthy and powerful, it's because you're fucking idiots. That's right. Right. And so why would Lee let you run the country? Democracy sucks. I mean, I have had that said to me by relatives who are free market capitalist purists who said... Like democracy is kind of a bad idea,
0: but it becomes very clear in that congressional when you spoke to Congress, or that what was that panel exactly? Yeah, that what was, was a, it?
2: A finance committee panel.
0: A finance committee panel, and that congressman from uh, from Indiana, the one who said, you know, you, this is socialism.
2: Yeah is that you know that
0: whole idea it, it's become so clear now that they're pawns of corporate interests
2: yeah it's so clear so it's
0: it's not even a philosophical notion it's a, right. it's just that, that most politicians are are craven hacks <laughs> Who are, who, are, who are easily sold yeah. out. I mean, b-
2: they're functioning in a very broken system. And basically now, well, all they have is like a set of clubs, you know, huh. and like, like, I'll use the socialism club on this lady and I'll use the Marxism club on Yeah, because club I'm, I'm lady. owned. Yeah, exactly. I mean, th- and they have not a very, I would say most of them, not a very well-developed intellectual s- no. system. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and they're not thinking about the word socialism as having anything more than a single, it's like a, a bucket Mm. you know of a word and oh, no, so they know, throw everything yeah, into and, that and, one and, and
0: the, the, we have functioning socialism within mm-hmm. the bureaucracy of this country that most of these older people right whether, whether it's right. Medicare or Social Security right. that right. you, you right. know they all well,
2: and we have corporate socialism we talk sure. about that in the film a little yeah. bit too I mean we don't even scratch the surface on Anaheim and its relationship to the Walt Disney Company because well,
0: oh, well, yeah, that, yeah.
2: you know but a 500 million dollar bond yeah in, in 1996 that they are still paying off and there is a law that says that any surplus in the government's budget yeah. has to go to pay that bond down. They're not allowed to use the surplus on the fire department or the education department or anything else. It must pay that bond down.
0: So Disney owns the town. Yeah. Yeah.
2: So, so people of Anaheim took that and they pay a dollar a year and yet they own for the, the par- place.
0: For the parking structure. And,
2: and when the bond is finished and it's paid down, Disney owns it. Yeah on um, what deal on earth would you ever sign that favored the other side that egregiously you would never well they and, sold
0: them on the tourists. So they sold them on the economic benefit except they
2: also passed a law saying we indemnify you against any future tax on yeah. admission yeah. so like where's the benefit to anaheim
0: but this was not your grandfather's disney
2: no i i will say he was a very aggressive guy around Florida, because it, like they they bought that land in Anaheim, they built the park there, and then psh, immediately there was all this stuff around it, and they got yeah. limited in square footage, and the, and Anaheim is a as a business proposition is a square footage problem. Yeah. how do you maximize revenues out of that? Yeah, very limited thing. So they bought. You know, they still only use like 40% of the land in Orlando that they bought. They bought so much land there. Oh,
0: yeah. And then they they went to the government. Don't they have like a a housing community there now?
2: Exactly. So they they went to the government and said, uh, give us everything we want, please. We want our own fire department, our own police department, our own water and sanitation, everything. So it's almost like Andorra there. It's like a state within a state. Um, because of how much the government was just happy to hand them over anything. Well, wasn't they there a
0: conflict recently with Reedy Little Creek. De- with yeah. DeSantis? What was yeah. that about again?
2: So, Reedy Creek is what it's called this special status yeah. that Disney has it yeah. supplies its own. <laughs> What's really interesting about it, and all these tax. And everybody assumes it benefits Disney, but um, actually, as it's worked out, it's saved Orlando a lot of money in having to police and send fire department to Uh Disney, and it wound up benefiting Orlando to the tune of something like a billion dollars a year. Uh Um, I, I sort of think a company shouldn't have that kind of autonomy. Yeah. I mean, they have their own police department. Yeah it just seems like a corporate police department that yeah. doesn't, it doesn't make me comfortable so I think we should probably have a conversation about how appropriate Reedy Creek is and that was completely my grandfather's invention
1: yeah
2: um but DeSantis I think acted really rashly and said let's just take it away yeah, yeah. and didn't think it through and didn't really understand yeah Orlando it was, it was like do. whoa whoa
1: whoa whoa yeah. like
2: you know yeah. shit is going on quietly yeah. because like you see a news story and it's up here yeah. and then phew, it disappears from view. That's a lot well, of publicists. yeah, He got, he got, <laughs> sure, he got yeah. his
0: talking point and it's probably, you know, Orlando, you know, pushed back and said, look.
2: No, you know, I, I'm sure Disney went with hat in hand and yeah. said, what can we do to make you happy, Mr. DeSantis? Oh, really? Please tell us yeah. how to make you happy. No, I'm sure Disney ate shit. Oh, yeah. For them. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So but get all this getting to the point that you know you focus on specifically what they call the the cast members of of Disney and these are people you know on the janitorial staff yeah. these are people you know who who uh you know set the park up mm-hmm. overnight they're they're people that work in all different positions in the park who are, are who are really you know being underpaid do not have access to health care are are not unlike many people in, in these positions in, in corporate structures and, or in it, it, you know, there's no union that, that functions properly, you know, exactly. within it. And so th- you made it personal by making it Disney, but those the stories were all there.
2: Right, exactly. I mean, the thing is I made it personal because it, it is personal because these are persons, right? These are all sure. people living lives, human beings, and, like, we leave that out of the equation when we have these conversations. But it was
0: interesting that, you know, it was a, 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 the way to frame it, you know, with your own... Sort yeah. of moral compass, and then yeah. you know, trying to reach out to uh, to what's it, Iger, <laughs> uh, who's no longer there. So the Jews eventually got Disney, yes. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> a couple of Jews, yeah, <laughs> yeah, uh. Yeah. But but it, it because you have no you don't sit on the board, you're not you, you know you just are a you know a, what, what what is it? You're a stockholder? I'm a stockholder. No? Yeah. No,
2: no, I don't even really have as many shares as most people. do.
0: Yeah, but uh, but you just reached out as a person.
2: Yes, exactly with who, the name Disney. Yes, who happened to have Bob's email <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like right. the magic power yeah um, that I didn't ask for. So so yeah, basically I, I I'll tell you I witnessed it. I witnessed the change happen in front of my eyes because I as much as my grandfather was super conservative yeah. and anti-union and the rest of it he was like this decent man he was so warm he was mm. so genuine and so when I would walk in the That's across park the with
0: board him, that's not a granddaughter uh, no, ideal
2: No I, I actually okay, okay. I have tested this okay, okay. <laughs> and I know people who do it still Yeah who will say the same thing it's yeah. not just a, yeah. an imaginary thing and um I would walk into the park with him, and like we would come in through the cast member entrance, and people would come up to him and call him Roy, and he would remember their names and he would ask about their families. I mean, like it was really amazing that way. And and he did seem to believe, as far as I can tell, that, you know, what the thing is with capitalism when it's working well is people are making money and having lives that was a, that was part of one of his concerns as a person That was how a the middle class
0: was invented.
2: Exactly. Yeah. So it was like, you know, you pay them enough they can buy a house. There were all these government subsidies helping them do all these things, but nevertheless it mattered to him that people could raise their children and get health care and all the rest of that. And and you know, I tell this story all the time because it's really important to me. It says something so much about the difference of the place we're in now. He used to pick up garbage when he would walk into the park. Yeah. And it, and it's kind of a famous thing at Disney. It's like one of the first things you learn is you pick up garbage. I don't care if you're a manager or whatever. Yeah. And I asked him about it. And he said, I want people to know nobody's too good to pick up a piece of garbage. Yeah. No matter who he is. Yeah. And, and that... If you think about contemporary CEO and how they roll and how they walk into spaces and how they how they see themselves yeah. and how we look at them when we put them on magazine covers yeah. and so forth, it's just inconceivable that they would bend over and pick up a piece of garbage. Mm. And so in some ways, we have, we have taken this class of people and we've given them like supernatural status, mm. which is not who they are and not what they have, and in handing them over – this idea that they have such special skills that no one could possibly do their job, they can't be replaced, that's how we justify giving them these redunculous paydays. Yeah. And it's like, I have no problem with a person having $65 million. I really don't. Yeah. But like, At the same company, they can't put food on the table. That doesn't feel related. On the back of
0: people who are living in tents and and have no sort of safety net at all.
2: And I have have in the business press, I have one set of people who call me and ask me to talk about CEO pay. And a totally different set of people who call me and ask me to talk about the pay for the workers. Why are those different people? Because we're not seeing them as working at the same enterprise. And that's a problem.
0: Yep. And, and it's just it, and the fact that, you know, Iger pulled out right before the pandemic and, and got his big bucks, his 65 million parachute, primarily because yeah. of the negotiating the Fox deal, I imagine. Yeah. Right?
2: And he became a billionaire during the pandemic yeah. from from the money he'd accrued the all of the different paydays he'd had over the years. That's partly because Disney prices went crazy. But also, why did Disney prices go crazy? Nobody could get into the park. It's just not rational. Not, like, we keep being told that the stock market is rational, crazy? and it's yeah. not because Disney um, Plus was doing so well, mm. um, and so everybody was like, "Oh, great! Streaming is now." So to they're be, at home. Yeah, know.
0: everyone's at home watching yeah. and signing up, and no one's going to the park. And meanwhile, you've got all the people that worked yeah. at the park furloughed, bordering on yeah. homeless, if not homeless, yeah. with families, yeah, on the street, yeah, with no. No one. It, it was interesting because you did talk to a woman who'd worked there for forty some odd mm-hmm. years, and mm-hmm. that she yeah. saw the arc of. She of,
1: saw a change. Yeah. Well,
2: let's be clear that they they said we're going to furlough you, and you go ahead and you sign up for unemployment, but in the background every single day of our lives up until this point we've been fighting not to have to pay taxes to the state that's now going to have to pay you unemployment like think about that like we have been trying to disable and 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 um, deconstruct and and s- wither the state away as active lobbyists but the second that that it's there's trouble it's like oh the state will pay for that yeah i mean it's, it, it tells you that, that the only ideology really actually is the self. And, and unfortunately, corporation has a self, which is this collected um, brain yeah. of, of people at the top, and they, are, um, they share a set of ideologies that are incredibly poisonous.
0: Yeah, and, and whereas the, as somebody with the, you know, a, a sense of that, the immorality of that, that, like, it seems such a simple thing. It's like, you have all this fucking money. Yeah. You, what are you going to do with yeah. all this money? Why can't you just take care of this group of people?
2: Well, but here's the thing. They don't have a lot of money lying around. Uh. So th- one of the most profitable years in history going into the pandemic, the, in, the, in the eight years up to the pandemic, they had spent, and I'm going to get the number wrong, but I think it's over $8 billion of free cash flow on share buybacks share buybacks yeah and, th- and if you think about so a share buyback was illegal in the early 1980s yeah. and it was considered unethical for many many years but they're standard now and basically the the company looks at its share price it has a lot of cash lying around it says well let's just buy shares we don't care if the price is high like what's rational to do with money in a company it, you know, wait till the share price drops if you could. Like, don't pay yeah, top dollar yeah. for it. But nevertheless, they buy their shares. That pumps the price up, which offers value to the shareholders. And so, theoretically, you're rewarding it's your shareholders, your job. owners. Yeah. Right. But the people you're really rewarding are your managers, who are primarily compensated in shares at yeah. that low value. Yeah. So they get pumped up. Also, so they nobody, just the same as you've got this on-time inventory philosophy that really killed us during the pandemic, this, like, I don't want free cash flow sitting around on my books attitude left them totally ill-prepared for the pandemic. So immediately Disney had to start borrowing money. Like, you would think a profitable company would not need to dip into borrowed money. But, of course, like, it's anathema to have cash sitting around, yeah. even for an emergency. So, they, they, like, it was a lot of business practices contribute to contributed to the way our workers were screwed during the pandemic and not just the fact that they were so low paid for so long that there were articles right before the pandemic. I don't know if you remember them about how nobody could afford a $400 emergency if it came up. There were a whole series of articles right before the pandemic. Sure enough, they had a big emergency, more than $400, and they had to go right out to the food banks. There was no padding for anybody.
0: Yeah, it's it's. It's awful because, like there you would have to rebuild uh, you, you have to create an infrastructure to actually take care of people, and yes. they just don't give a fuck,
2: yes. and we, we had an infrastructure at one time that was imperfect, yeah, um but but it was like um, it was like a hedge we stopped, or God watering. forbid
0: you give them stock options,
2: yeah, well, you know God forbid. And if you have free cash flow, like right? if you have, you know four hundred million extra dollars just lying around as a result of how profitable you are, yeah. and you think it should go to people who deserve it. Why are your employees who produce much of that value not considered as important as your shareholders when you return that value to the people who deserve it? But, so where is where's that? Yeah. And if year after year after year you're profitable, why are their wages not raised?
0: And why are they dying in their cars?
2: Yeah. They, and they are dying in their cars. When, the person who died in her car that really s- s- just killed everybody was um, she had played Winnie the Pooh six days a week for eight years. And then one day she just didn't show up and nobody knew where she was and nobody could find her. Was she, she was living in, a... in her car?
0: That's terrible. Yeah. Is that, was that in the movie? No.
2: I mean, we couldn't. There's only so much you can shove in a movie and like we shoved that movie so full of stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Really. Um And uh, oh, that story kills me.
0: It's terrible. Yeah. And. So it's it unfortunately you know what, what really sat with me and and I've noticed it before is this sort of you know when you do have the union strike in front of the park
1: mm-hmm.
0: that you have you know families walking into the park with dismissive mm-hmm. looks mm-hmm. you know like that there's this natural aversion mm-hmm. to you, you know the the to activism mm-hmm and to and to wanting to putting voice to a very you know vulnerable and angry mm-hmm. reality yeah that you know people who, who who might just be convinced because of their credit that they were at a different class than that right. are yeah. looking down at these people as they enter the park that that tone of engagement always kills me.
2: You know, at least half of those people, maybe 40 years ago, wouldn't have dared to cross the picket line. Yeah. Wouldn't have dreamed of it. Yeah. And and so that Powell memo, to go back to to that Powell memo, is really important because he... It was a given in the Powell memo that we should obliterate the union movement, that it should be destroyed. And, and certainly that's the first thing Reagan got to work on yeah. in the 1980s. But, but what he was focused on was, how do we make people hate unions? Let's go into the schools and retrain people in how to think about unions, not just, not just business schools, yeah. but high schools and colleges. Let's write books. Let's have our own um, academic And also,
0: um, let's, let's, bl- let's blame the mob.
2: Yeah, exactly. So there was a massive social campaign against movements. And I still, even after that film, have to talk to people about why unions aren't bad. Yeah. Um, and, and unions have gotten obliterated. I mean, they are barely functioning and, and they are working as hard as they can. And they're brilliant people in them, but they don't have enough money and they don't have enough time and they don't have enough staff. They need much more support.
0: And I guess say, you know, I, not, ha, coming from a place where I don't know anything. I think there was a period in the 60s and 70s where they were yeah. a victim of bad leadership and 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 payoffs yeah. and stuff.
2: Yeah, Some no question. Them, yeah. No question. I mean that was the but problem. But the idea
0: of it, right. Yeah. The idea of the union in in its intent you it know, was really about like, hey, you know what, you you can't have kids working all night long with no food yes. making shoes yes. or whatever. Thank
2: you, Union Movement, for yeah. a weekend. Right. And an eight day work day. Yes. And child unions. labor laws. Exactly. Hmm. So um yeah, no, there are some brilliant people in the union movement who are who are really trying to kind of pick up the pieces from and you see the way that teachers union you know is so wildly controversial but all a union is is a recognition that um workers if they can't bargain collectively they're fucked yeah you know and and the, and so what we're being asked right now especially as we move more and more to a gig economy is we're being asked to trust the 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 ceo class to take care of how paternalistic is that yeah workers and no um that that workers have rights
0: right or else to just (laughs) trust that workers will take care of themselves yeah that there's a selfishness involved uh, to to our perception right right that you know through this weird kind of like you know pick you know cherry pick your reality yeah business
2: and 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 at the heart of the anti-union kind of campaign was Uh stop thinking that we rely on each other this is not how society works. Each of us is one little blade of grass sticking straight up, totally unconnected yeah, one to One little fuck else. you finger. Exactly. <laughs> That's a beautiful lawn yeah, image I have yeah. in my in my mind now. Yeah. And, like, and so when Milton Friedman says um, society runs on individuals pursuing their self-interest, mm. I, I find that to be the most offensive because he says it as though, as though this is all obvious, that that like this is just a thing you say the sky is blue and which so is sky, really
0: not how the species works
2: like exactly and like have you have you been at birth mm. <laughs> like have you seen how that works yeah. you come out of a person yeah. and there's all these people there helping that happen mm. and then holding that person so the other person can get better and then you, you know what's it called a family we interrelate it's we a real
0: problem when you know when intellectuals who who their job is to think provocative things mm-hmm. and philosophical ideas to promote debate within the within academia, you know, kind of get released into the real world.
2: Exactly. And that's what happened with Milton Friedman. Sure.
0: It's happening again with worse people, with yeah. Uh, yeah. Jordan Peterson. Yeah. And, y- y- you know... Yeah. Yeah, It's like there's definitely people that's like, they're supposed to be in yeah. academia. This yeah. is supposed to provoke thought yeah. and debate. It's not supposed to be yeah. practical, applied.
2: Have you ever met people who um, who are trying to get sober, but they're just too smart to get sober? Sure. Because um, they just, they talk so much sense, they don't know how to talk sense. Well, they, they refuse
0: I, to accept the idea of powerlessness.
2: Well, yeah, yeah. But there's also the person who can just talk and talk and talk yeah. and talk and talk. Right. Because like you don't have to connect it with anything human, right? And I have met so many academics like that. Right. That's how you thrive in academia. That's right. But and, they, and so then you pull him out of academia and you say, oh, construct a program. He's the leader, yeah. And Milton Friedman is so much worse news than even we make him in the film. Because if you've read the Shock Doctrine,
1: yeah,
2: Melanie, Me- I'm sorry, Naomi, Naomi Klein. Klein's yeah. amazing. That's an amazing book. Yeah, read that fucking book. It'll yeah. make you want to kill Milton Friedman. Just dig him up and bury him again because. He, he you know he was talking to Pinochet in advance of the coup planning his flight down there with all his Chicago folks with a they, whole they set made of it, laws it, it they was, were going to pass right, within months
0: It was the, it was a Chicago school's you know global experiment on yeah. you know how to you know uh kind of aggressively free market everything
2: Yeah exactly and it, So yeah
0: in it, what has happened since the dock i mean because you know the, you know after the dock ex- establishes itself that you know this is n- there's not going to be some closure at the end where everybody gets their payday
2: well i will say this yes um the hotel mates on property at disney have just achieved 23.50 an hour Mm. When I started working on this, they were in the 11s. So, And 2350 is dangerously close to a living wage in Anaheim. Yeah. So they have actually made incredible strides. That's great. And if that's where the hotel maids are, it's going to have to go up from there. And they're not going to be able to retain anybody unless they go up from there. So that's massive.
0: That is massive. And it's also the interesting thing about the pandemic is a lot of people are like, fuck it.
2: Yeah, exactly. Fuck, you know,
0: it's like, we're yeah. not going to go work. Yeah.
2: And you can't. I mean, people have an expectation when they show up at that park that the people they greet there are nice. <laughs> and it's very hard to be nice, you know, if, when you're making $18 an hour. So let's, let's be clear. They have no choice. If they believe in the proposition of Disneyland, mm. they have no choice but to go radically up with wages. So first of all, I'm going to keep the pressure on as much as I can. I support the unions as much as I can. But there's a bigger issue here. Because wages are only one aspect of this ideology that took over corporate America. Mm. And um, there's there's another ideology kind of becoming more and more prominent. It's the public benefit corporation or the B Corp or things like this. Like, What if Disney became the largest B Corp in the country? In not, the I universe? don't know what that is. It's um, basically you agree to a series of promises about uh, transparency, political lobbying, how you treat your employees, how you treat the environment. It's basically, if you're a B Corp, you're a corporation running the way a corporation would run if you gave a shit about human beings. (laughs) <laughs> As if people mattered. Yeah.
0: There's a few of those around, yeah. aren't there?
2: Yeah. Are there there are, a few? there are a bunch of them. Yeah. There are, I, I think there's something like 8,000 of them in the United States right now. So little by, and it's growing really quickly. So little by little, smaller corporations are signing on to this pledge and it, it relieves, there are legal ramifications to it because it relieves them a lot of shareholder lawsuits um, because they've, they've um, given up the idea of shareholder primacy for its own sake. And so that's massive.
0: The, of to, what?
2: Because shareholder primacy. is Oh, shareholder, is, is shareholder primacy thing that yeah, only yeah. shareholders matter. Shareholder right, right, primacy. Right. If you can get past that, and start to recognize success as something more broad than simply, you know, if you could say that my success isn't a success if I just dumped a lot of shit in the river that nobody can drink from the river ever yeah, again. Right. That, that actually should count in the company. It should be a cost the yes. company. That's what the B Corp movement is about. And like, what if you shifted Disney to becoming a B Corp? Yeah. What what imagine it.
1: Yeah.
2: And and imagine the size of the power of that company yeah. and how many companies might follow. Like it's not crazy. Larry no, yeah, Fink, who yeah. runs BlackRock Capital, who's the largest trillions of dollars under management, one of the largest investors in the world, has said I would look favorably on any management who proposed B Corp status? Um To the shareholders. Yeah, yeah, So there is a shift, and there are people who normally you would think of as Darth Vaders in this who are suddenly coming around and saying, like, "Well, oh, we're going to just well, I mean, burn you this would, planet up if we don't." Well,
0: change. that's right. But it's taken a long time, and and now what they have to deal with is like, you know, these brain fucked, you know, you know, just you know, regular people mm-hmm. who have become nihilistic monsters. Yeah with no moral compass or no understanding of repercussions and they just, you know, something has shifted in a lot of humanity and it seems to be driven by the desire to see the shit burn.
2: Yeah, I think that is true. I don't think many of them are shareholders of large No, no, of course
0: not. But I'm just saying like, you know, this was, uh, 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 this is the repercussions of the philosophy that you're talking about. I think we've
2: arrived at the only logical place we could possibly. When the
0: grievances become so deep and and the quality of life becomes so compromised that it's not about truth. It's just about honoring anger. And a lot of that anger is going to be directed at whatever they perceive as as proactive or woke or or diminishing their their grievance.
2: Exactly. Exactly, exactly. But, let me just say one but. Yeah, sure. (laughs) January 6th, the folks who showed up there, if you (laughs) take out of it, winnow out of it, the evils. Yeah. Uh, and, And you ask people what their analysis was. Much of it was corporations and elites don't care about us. They've taken over, they're running things, and we fucking hate them. That yeah, well,
0: that's great if it's not
2: it, wrong. It, no,
0: it's not wrong, but a lot of them are just sort of like the government. Yeah. Now, granted, the government doesn't function properly, and many of them are owned by corporations exactly. and elites. But that's not that, that connection but, isn't made. But
2: it is important okay. that their yeah. analysis isn't that far off of right. That's right. If you could somehow yeah. take it past that. the government, Yeah, exactly. And 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 well, they're they're not just saying government. Like they pick and choose their their corporations they're angry at. They're angry at Facebook and Meta and sure. whatever else. Okay. But if you can actually find find a way to tap into that yeah, rightness yeah. and connect it to this rightness over yeah. here, then you have something interesting. Then you have the classes, actually the class yeah. working together. Okay. And isn't that why we're so divided? Right. That's the thing that scares the powerful more than anything yeah. is that we put it together. Right. So so it's not, I, I'm very close to hopeless, yeah. but not completely.
0: Well, good. <laughs> well, that's, uh, and I'm glad you made the movie.
2: Thank you. And thank I'm, you. I'm,
0: it's important that people put this information out there and that they're passionate about, you know, facilitating change or at least, you know, putting the ideas out there. You know, I, I I'm hard on myself that I don't do it enough uh, because it is easy to to get depleted. But, yeah. you, you know, but like this movie is personal and it's it's good. And it, and it's it, you know, and it, it's enlightening, I think, to a lot of people.
2: That, well, thank you for saying that. I really, really appreciate that. Yeah. Way well, thanks. Uh, I, nice to talk to you. Nice to talk to you, too. That was a full,
0: rich, deep conversation. Personal, political, um, emotional. Good. You can find the movie, The American Dream and Other Fairy Tales, at AmericanDreamDoc.com. You can also watch it at home on digital, on-demand platforms. And, uh, yes, so why don't we all just, you know, process, think, reflect, my, my, my foot's okay. It just bows out a little bit. And, and we'll, we'll reconvene here in a second. So just hang out for a minute, will you? Okay, listen. Next week on Monday, we have writer and director Tony Gilroy on the show. He's the showrunner of the new Star Wars series Andor. He did the Bourne movies. And he's also the writer and director of one of my favorite movies, Michael Clayton. So I needed some answers. But I'm, you know, like I'm I'm not going scene for scene. Me and Brenda did that. You can hear that on the uh, if you're a full Marin subscriber next week, we're going to post a special episode with me and Brendan spending an hour talking about Michael Clayton, almost scene for scene. But I just like it just Tony Gilroy just blew me away. He's engaged. He's smart. He's got a great personal story. And the Michael Clayton process was was amazing for me to talk about. God knows I talk about the movie enough. So listen to that. And listen to me and Brendan talking about Michael Clayton, but that'll be next week after, I think, we talk to uh, Tony Gilroy. But right now, you can listen to the movie talk we posted this week, which was all about movie stars and documentaries and a bunch of stuff that was on our minds because of this week's episodes with Sigourney Weaver and Abigail Disney. Me and Brendan, together, on the mics. We go way back at this point. Are you kidding? I've been with Brendan since 2004, Dude, he grew up with me, this guy. I watched him grow up. Always was much more grown up than me. Even when he was 24, he was like, what's the matter with you? What? But, uh, yeah, so we're talking. If you have that full Marin subscription, you can hear it. And if you don't have a full Marin subscription, you can click on the link in the episode description or uh, go to WTFPod.com and click on WTF+. Plus. A lot of things happening. A lot of talky talk. Yeah. So listen, I'm in Toronto tomorrow night and Saturday night at the Queen Elizabeth Theater. Next week, I'm in Livermore, California at the Bankhead Theater on October 6th. And Carmel by the Sea, California at the Sunset Center on October 7th. You might want to come to that if you can. So it's not just me and Lara Bites and 12 people, maybe, you know, in, in a circle. It'll be fine. It's going to be pretty. It'll be nice. We'll be, it'll be fine. I'm in London uh, doing that live WTF at the Bloomsbury Theater on Wednesday, October 19th with comedian and writer David Bedeal. Then I've got stand-up shows at the Bloomsbury Saturday and Sunday, October 22nd and 23rd. I think those are sold out. Dublin, Ireland. I'm at Vicar Street on Wednesday, October 26th. Then in November and December, I'm in Oklahoma City, Dallas, San Antonio, Houston, Long Beach, California, Eugene, Oregon, Bend, Oregon, Asheville, North Carolina, and Nashville, Tennessee. And finally, my HBO special taping is at Town Hall in New York City on Thursday, December 8th. Go to WTFPod.com slash tour for all dates and ticket info. And now I'm going to show you how impressively limited I am at guitar because this is all I got. This is this is pretty much all I got. Monkey in the Fonda, Cat Angels everywhere. That was messy, but there were some good moments.